0: Chapter Nine of Walden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Walden by Henry David Thoreau. Chapter Nine: The Ponds. Sometimes, having had a surfeit of human society and gossip, and worn out all my village friends, I rambled still farther westward than I habitually dwell, into yet more unfrequented parts of the town, to fresh woods and pastures new or while the sun was setting made my supper of huckleberries and blueberries on fairhaven hill and laid up a store for several days the fruits do not yield their true flavor to the purchaser of them nor to him who raises them for the market there is but one way to obtain it yet few take that way if you would know the flavor of huckleberries ask the cowboy or the partridge It is a vulgar error to suppose that you have tasted huckleberries who never plucked them. A huckleberry never reaches Boston. They have not been known there since they grew on her three hills. The ambrosial and essential part of the fruit is lost with the bloom which is rubbed off in the market cart, and they become mere provender. As long as eternal justice reigns, not one innocent huckleberry can be transported thither from the country's hills occasionally after my hoeing was done for the day i joined some impatient companion who had been fishing on the pond since morning as silent and motionless as a duck or a floating leaf and after practising various kinds of philosophy had concluded commonly by the time i arrived that he belonged to the ancient sect of canobites there was one older man an excellent fisher and skilled in all kinds of woodcraft who was pleased to look upon my house as a building erected for the convenience of fishermen and i was equally pleased when he sat in my doorway to arrange his lines once in a while we sat together on the pond he at one end of the boat and i at the other but not many words passed between us for he had grown deaf in his later years but he occasionally hummed a psalm which harmonized well enough with my philosophy Our intercourse was thus altogether one of unbroken harmony, far more pleasing to remember than if it had been carried on by speech. When, as was commonly the case, I had none to commune with, I used to raise the echoes by striking with a paddle on the side of my boat, filling the surrounding woods with circling and dilating sound, stirring them up as the keeper of a menagerie his wild beasts, until I elicited a growl from every wooded vale and hillside, In warm evenings I frequently sat in the boat playing the flute, and saw the perch, which I seemed to have charmed, hovering around me, and the moon traveling over the ribbed bottom, which was strewed with the wrecks of the forest. Formerly I had come to this pond adventurously from time to time, in dark summer nights, with a companion, and making a fire close to the water's edge, which we thought attracted the fishes, we caught pouts with a bunch of worms strung on a thread and when we had done far in the night threw the burning brands high into the air like sky-rockets which coming down into the pond were quenched with a loud hissing and we were suddenly groping in total darkness through this whistling a tune we took our way to the haunts of men again but now i had made my home by the shore sometimes after staying in a village parlor till the family had all retired i had returned to the woods and partly with a view to the next day's dinner spent the hours of midnight fishing from a boat by moonlight serenaded by owls and foxes and hearing from time to time the creaking note of some unknown bird close at hand these experiences were very memorable and valuable to me anchored in forty feet of water and twenty or thirty rods from the shore surrounded sometimes by thousands of small perch and shiners dimpling the surface with their tails in the moonlight, and communicating by a long flaxen line with mysterious nocturnal fishes which had their dwelling forty feet below, or sometimes dragging sixty feet of line about the pond as I drifted in the gentle night breeze, now and then feeling a slight vibration along it, indicative of some life prowling about its extremity, of dull, uncertain, blundering purpose there, and slow to make up its mind at length you slowly raise pulling hand over hand some horned pout squeaking and squirming to the upper air it was very queer especially in dark nights when your thoughts had wandered to vast and cosmogonal themes in other spheres to feel this faint jerk which came to interrupt your dreams and link you to nature again it seemed as if i might next cast my line upward into the air as well as downward into this element which was scarcely more dense thus i caught two fishes as it were with one hook the scenery of walden is on a humble scale and though very beautiful does not approach to grandeur nor can it much concern one who has not long frequented it or lived by its shore yet this pond is so remarkable for its depth and purity as to merit a particular description it is a clear and deep green well half a mile long and a mile and three quarters in circumference and contains about sixty-one and a half acres a perennial spring in the midst of pine and oak woods without any visible inlet or outlet except by the clouds and evaporation the surrounding hills rise abruptly from the water to the height of forty to eighty feet though on the southeast and east they attain to about one hundred and one hundred and fifty feet respectively within a quarter and a third of a mile they are exclusively woodland all our conquered waters have two colors at least one when viewed at a distance and another more proper close at hand the first depends more on the light and follows the sky in clear weather and summer they appear blue at a little distance especially if agitated and at a great distance all appear alike in stormy weather they are sometimes of a dark slate colour the sea however is said to be blue one day and green another without any perceptible change in the atmosphere i have seen our river when the landscape being covered with snow both water and ice were almost as green as grass some consider blue to be the colour of pure water whether liquid or solid, but looking directly down into our waters from a boat, they are seen to be of very different colors. Walden is blue at one time and green at another, even from the same point of view. Lying between the earth and the heavens, it partakes of the color of both. Viewed from a hilltop, it reflects the color of the sky, but near at hand it is of a yellowish tint next the shore, where you can see the sand, then a light green, which gradually deepens to a uniform dark green in the body of the pond. In some lights, viewed even from a hilltop, it is of a vivid green next the shore. Some have referred this to the reflection of the verdure, but it is equally green there against the railroad sandbank and in the spring, before the leaves are expanded, and it may be simply the result of the prevailing blue mixed with the yellow of the sand such is the color of its iris this is that portion also where in the spring the ice being warmed by the heat of the sun reflected from the bottom and also transmitted through the earth melts first and forms a narrow canal about the still frozen middle like the rest of our waters when much agitated in clear weather so that the surface of the waves may reflect the sky at the right angle or because there is more light mixed with it it appears at a little distance of a darker blue than the sky itself and at such a time being on its surface and looking with divided vision so as to see the reflection i have discerned a matchless and indescribable light blue such as watered or changeable silks and sword-blades suggest more cerulean than the sky itself alternating with the original dark green on the opposite sides of the waves which last appeared but muddy in comparison it is a vitreous greenish blue as i remember it like those patches of the winter sky seen through cloud vistas in the west before sundown yet a single glass of its water held up to the light is as colorless as an equal quantity of air it is well known that a large plate of glass will have a green tint owing as the makers say to its body but a small piece of the same will be colorless how large a body of walden water would be required to reflect a green tint i have never proved the water of our river is black or a very dark brown to one looking directly down on it and like that of most ponds imparts to the body of one bathing in it a yellowish tinge but this water is of such crystalline purity that the body of the bather appears of an alabaster whiteness still more unnatural which as the limbs are magnified and distorted withal produces a monstrous effect making fit studies for a michelangelo the water is so transparent that the bottom can easily be discerned at the depth of twenty-five or thirty feet paddling over it you may see many feet beneath the surface the schools of perch and shiners perhaps only an inch long yet the former easily distinguished by their transverse bars and you think that they must be ascetic fish that find a subsistence there once in the winter many years ago when i had been cutting holes through the ice in order to catch pickerel as i stepped ashore i tossed my axe back on to the ice but, as if some evil genius had directed it, it slid four or five rods directly into one of the holes where the water was twenty-five feet deep. Out of curiosity, I lay down on the ice and looked through the hole until I saw the axe a little on one side, standing on its head with its helve erect and gently swaying to and fro with the pulse of the pond and there it might have stood erect and swaying till, in the course of time, the handle rotted off if I had not disturbed it. Making another hole directly over it with an ice chisel which I had, and cutting down the longest birch which I could find in the neighborhood with my knife, I made a slip noose which I attached to its end, and letting it down carefully passed it over the knob of the handle, and drew it by a line along the birch, and so pulled the axe out again the shore is composed of a belt of smooth rounded white stones like paving-stones excepting one or two short sand beaches and is so steep that in many places a single leap will carry you into water over your head and were it not for its remarkable transparency that would be the last to be seen of its bottom till it rose on the opposite side some think it is bottomless it is nowhere muddy and a casual observer would say that there were no weeds at all in it. And of noticeable plants, except in the little meadows recently overflowed, which do not properly belong to it, a closer scrutiny does not detect a flag nor a bulrush, not even a lily, yellow or white, but only a few small heart leaves and potamogetons, and perhaps a water target or two, all which, however, a bather might not perceive and these plants are clean and bright like the element they grow in. The stones extend a rod or two into the water, and then the bottom is pure sand, except in the deepest parts, where there is usually a little sediment, probably from the decay of the leaves which have been wafted onto it so many successive falls, and a bright green weed is brought up on anchors, even in midwinter. We have one other pond just like this white pond in Nineacre corner about two and a half miles westerly but though i am acquainted with most of the ponds within a dozen miles of this centre i do not know a third of this pure and well-like character successive nations perchance have drank at admired and fathomed it and passed away and still its water is green and pellucid as ever not an intermitting spring Perhaps on that spring morning when Adam and Eve were driven out of Eden, Walden Pond was already in existence, and even then breaking up in a gentle spring rain accompanied with mist and a southerly wind, and covered with myriads of ducks and geese which had not heard of the fall, when still such pure lakes sufficed them. Even then it had commenced to rise and fall, and had clarified its waters, and colored them of the hue they now wear and obtained a patent of heaven to be the only walden pond in the world and distiller of celestial dews who knows in how many unremembered nation's literatures this has been the Castalian fountain or what nymphs presided over it in the golden age it is a gem of the first water which concord wears in her coronet yet perchance the first who came to this well have left some trace of their footsteps i have been surprised to detect encircling the pond even where a thick wood has just been cut down on the shore a narrow shelf-like path in the steep hillside alternately rising and falling approaching and receding from the water's edge as old probably as the race of man here worn by the feet of aboriginal hunters and still from time to time unwittingly trodden by the present occupants of the land this is particularly distinct to one standing on the middle of the pond in winter just after a light snow has fallen appearing as a clear undulating white line unobscured by weeds and twigs and very obvious a quarter of a mile off in many places where in summer it is hardly distinguishable close at hand the snow reprints it as it were in clear white type alto rilievo. the ornamented grounds of villas which will one day be built here may still preserve some trace of this the pond rises and falls but whether regularly or not and within what period nobody knows though as usual many pretend to know it is commonly higher in the winter and lower in the summer though not corresponding to the general wet and dryness. I can remember when it was a foot or two lower, and also when it was at least five feet higher than when I lived by it. There is a narrow sandbar running into it, with very deep water on one side, on which I helped boil a kettle of chowder, some six rods from the main shore about the year 1824, which it has not been possible to do for twenty-five years and on the other hand my friends used to listen with incredulity when i told them that a few years later i was accustomed to fish from a boat in a secluded cove in the woods fifteen rods from the only shore they knew which place was long since converted into a meadow but the pond has risen steadily for two years and now in the summer of fifty-two is just five feet higher than when i lived there or as high as it was thirty years ago and fishing goes on again in the meadow. This makes a difference of level at the outside of six or seven feet, and yet the water shed by the surrounding hills is insignificant in amount, and this overflow must be referred to causes which affect the deep springs. This same summer the pond has begun to fall again. It is remarkable that this fluctuation, whether periodical or not, appears thus to require many years for its accomplishment i have observed one rise and a part of two falls and i expect that a dozen or fifteen years hence the water will again be as low as i have ever known it flint's pond a mile eastward allowing for the disturbance occasioned by its inlets and outlets and the smaller intermediate ponds also sympathize with walden and recently attained their greatest height at the same time with the latter the same is true as far as my observation goes of white palm this rise and fall of walden at long intervals serves this use at least the water standing at this great height for a year or more though it makes it difficult to walk round it kills the shrubs and trees which have sprung up about its edge since the last rise pitch pines birches alders aspens and others and falling again leaves an unobstructed shore for unlike many ponds at all waters which are subject to a daily tide, its shore is cleanest when the water is lowest. On the side of the pond next my house, a row of pitch pines fifteen feet high has been killed and tipped over as if by a lever, and thus a stop put to their encroachments. And their size indicates how many years have elapsed since the last rise to this height. By this fluctuation, the pond asserts its title to a shore, and thus the shore is shorn, and the trees cannot hold it by right of possession. These are the lips of the lake on which no beard grows. It licks its chaps from time to time. When the water is at its height, the alders, willows, and maples send forth a mass of fibrous red roots several feet long from all sides of their stems in the water, and to the height of three or four feet from the ground, in an effort to maintain themselves and i have known the high blueberry bushes about the shore which commonly produce no fruit bear an abundant crop under these circumstances some have been puzzled to tell how the shore became so regularly paved my townsmen have all heard the tradition the oldest people tell me that they heard it in their youth that anciently the indians were holding a powwow upon a hill here which rose as high into the heavens as the pond now sinks deep into the earth and they used much profanity as the story goes though this vice is one of which the indians were never guilty and while they were thus engaged the hill shook and suddenly sank and only one old squaw named walden escaped and from her the pond was named it has been conjectured that when the hill shook these stones rolled down its side and became the present shore it is very certain at any rate that once there was no pond here and now there is one and this indian fable does not in any respect conflict with the account of that ancient settler whom i have mentioned who remembers so well when he first came here with his divining rod saw a thin vapour rising from the sward and the hazel pointed steadily downward and he concluded to dig a well here as for the stones many still think that they are hardly to be accounted for by the action of the waves on these hills but i observe that the surrounding hills are remarkably full of the same kind of stones so that they have been obliged to pile them up in walls on both sides of the railroad cut nearest the pond and moreover there are most stones where the shore is most abrupt so that unfortunately it is no longer a mystery to me i detect the paver if the name was not derived from that of some english locality saffron walden for instance one might suppose that it was called originally wald inn pond the pond was my well ready dug for four months in the year its water is as cold as it is pure at all times and i think that it is then as good as any if not the best in the town in the winter all water which is exposed to the air is colder than springs and wells which are protected from it the temperature of the pond water which had stood in the room where i sat from five o'clock in the afternoon till noon the next day the sixth of march eighteen forty six the thermometer having been up to sixty five degrees or seventy degrees some of the time owing partly to the sun on the roof was forty two degrees or a degree colder than the water of one of the coldest wells in the village just drawn the temperature of the boiling spring of the same day was forty five degrees or the warmest of any water tried though it is the coldest that i know of in summer when besides shallow and stagnant surface water is not mingled with it moreover in summer walden never becomes so warm as most water which is exposed to the sun on account of its depth in the warmest weather i usually placed a pailful in my cellar where it became cool in the night and remained so during the day though i also resorted to a spring in the neighborhood it was as good when a week old as the day it was dipped and had no taste of the pump whoever camps for a week in summer by the shore of a pond needs only bury a pail of water a few feet deep in the shade of his camp to be independent of the luxury of ice there have been caught in walden pickerel one weighing seven pounds to say nothing of another which carried off a reel with great velocity which the fisherman safely set down at eight pounds because he did not see him perch and pouts some of each weighing over two pounds shiners chivins or roach luciscus pucellus, a very few breams and a couple of eels, one weighing four pounds. I am thus particular because the weight of a fish is commonly its only title to fame, and these are the only eels I have heard of here. Also, I have a faint recollection of a little fish, some five inches long, with silvery sides and a greenish back, somewhat dace-like in its character, which I mention here chiefly, to link my facts to fable nevertheless this pond is not very fertile in fish its pickerel though not abundant are its chief boast i have seen at one time lying on the ice pickerel of at least three different kinds a long and shallow one steel-colored most like those caught in the river a bright golden kind with greenish reflections and remarkably deep which is the most common here and another golden-colored and shaped like the last but peppered on the sides with small dark brown or black spots intermixed with a few faint blood-red ones very much like a trout the specific name reticulatus would not apply to this it should be gutatus rather these are all very firm fish and weigh more than their size promises the shiners pouts and perch also and indeed all the fishes which inhabit this pond are much cleaner handsomer and firmer flesh than those in the river and most other ponds, as the water is purer and they can easily be distinguished from them probably many ichthyologists would make new varieties of some of them there are also a clean race of frogs and tortoises and a few mussels in it muskrats and minks leave their traces about it and occasionally a travelling mud turtle visits it Sometimes, when I pushed off my boat in the morning, I disturbed a great mud-turtle, which had secreted himself under the boat in the night. Ducks and geese frequented in the spring and fall. The white-bellied swallows, Hirundo bicolor, skim over it, and the petweets, Titanus macularius, teeter along its stony shores all summer. I have sometimes disturbed a fish-hawk, sitting on a white pine over the water but i doubt if it is ever profaned by the wind of a gull like fairhaven at most it tolerates one annual loom these are all the animals of consequence which frequent it now you may see from a boat in calm weather near the sandy eastern shore where the water is eight or ten feet deep and also in some other parts of the pond some circular heaps half a dozen feet in diameter by a foot in height consisting of small stones less than a hen's egg in size where all around is bare sand at first you wonder if the indians could have formed them on the ice for any purpose and so when the ice melted they sank to the bottom but they are too regular and some of them plainly too fresh for that they are similar to those found in rivers but as there are no suckers nor lampreys here i know not by what fish they could be made perhaps they are the nests of the chivin. these lend a pleasing mystery to the bottom the shore is irregular enough not to be monotonous i have in my mind's eye the western indented with deep bays the bolder northern and the beautifully scalloped southern shore where successive capes overlap each other and suggest unexplored coves between the forest has never so good a setting nor is so distinctly beautiful as when seen from the middle of a small lake amid hills which rise from the water's edge for the water in which it is reflected not only makes the best foreground in such case but with its winding shore the most natural and agreeable boundary to it there is no rawness nor imperfection in its edge then as where the axe has cleared a park or a cultivated field abuts on it the trees have ample room to expand on the water side and each sends forth its most vigorous branch in that direction there nature has woven a natural selvage and the eye rises by just gradations from the low shrubs of the shore to the highest trees there are few traces of man's hand to be seen the water laves the shore as it did a thousand years ago. A lake is the landscape's most beautiful and expressive feature. It is Earth's eye, looking into which the beholder measures the depth of his own nature. The fluviatile trees next the shore are the slender eyelashes which fringe it, and the wooded hills and cliffs around are its overhanging brow standing on the smooth sandy beach at the east end of the pond in a calm september afternoon when a slight haze makes the opposite shoreline indistinct i have seen whence came the expression the glassy surface of a lake when you invert your head it looks like a thread of finest gossamer stretched across the valley and gleaming against the distant pine woods separating one stratum of the atmosphere from another You would think that you could walk dry under it to the opposite hills, and that the swallows which skim over might perch on it. Indeed, they sometimes dive below this line, as it were, by mistake, and are undeceived. As you look over the pond westward, you are obliged to employ both your hands to defend your eyes against the reflected, as well as the true sun, for they are equally bright and if between the two you survey its surface critically it is literally as smooth as glass except where the skater insects at equal intervals scattered over its whole extent by their motions in the sun produce the finest imaginable sparkle on it or perchance a duck plumes itself or as i have said a swallow skims so low as to touch it it may be that in the distance a fish describes an arc of three or four feet in the air and there is one bright flash where it emerges and another where it strikes the water sometimes the whole silvery arc is revealed or here and there perhaps is a thistle-down floating on its surface which the fishes dart at and so dimple it again it is like molten glass cooled but not congealed and the few motes in it are pure and beautiful like the imperfections in glass you may often detect a yet smoother and darker water separated from the rest as if by an invisible cobweb boom of the water nymphs resting on it from a hilltop, you can see a fish leap in almost any part for not a pickerel or a shiner picks an insect from this smooth surface but it manifestly disturbs the equilibrium of the whole lake it is wonderful with what elaborateness this simple fact is advertised this piscine murder will out and from my distant perch i distinguish the circling undulations when they are half a dozen rods in diameter you can even detect a water-bug gerinus ceaselessly progressing over the smooth surface a quarter of a mile off for they furrow the water slightly making a conspicuous ripple bounded by two diverging lines but the skaters glide over it without rippling it perceptibly when the surface is considerably agitated there are no skaters nor water-bugs on it but apparently in calm days they leave their havens and adventurously glide forth from the shore by short impulses till they completely cover it it is a soothing employment on one of those fine days in the fall when all the warmth of the sun is fully appreciated to sit on a stump on such a height as this overlooking the pond and study the dimpling circles which are incessantly inscribed on its otherwise invisible surface amid the reflected skies and trees over this great expanse there is no disturbance but it is thus at once gently smoothed away and assuaged as when a vase of water is jarred the trembling circles seek the shore and all is smooth again not a fish can leap or an insect fall on this pond but it is reported in circling dimples in lines of beauty as it were the constant welling up of its fountain the gentle pulsing of its life the heaving of its breast the thrills of joy and thrills of pain are undistinguishable how peaceful the phenomena of the lake again the works of man shine as in the spring Aye, every leaf and twig and stone and cobweb sparkles now at mid-afternoon as when covered with dew in a spring morning. Every motion of an oar or an insect produces a flash of light, and if an oar falls, how sweet the echo. In such a day, in September or October, Walden is a perfect forest mirror, set round with stones as precious to my eye as if fewer or rarer nothing so fair so pure and at the same time so large as a lake perchance lies on the surface of the earth sky-water it needs no fence nations come and go without defiling it it is a mirror which no stone can crack whose quicksilver will never wear off whose gilding nature continuously repairs no storms no dust can dim its surface ever fresh a mirror in which all impurity presented to it sinks swept and dusted by the sun's hazy brush this the light dust-cloth which retains no breath that is breathed on it but sends its own to float as clouds high above its surface and be reflected in its bosom still a field of water betrays the spirit that is in the air it is continually receiving new life and motion from above it is intermediate in its nature between land and sky on land only the grass and trees wave but the water itself is rippled by the wind i see where the breeze dashes across it by the streaks or flakes of light it is remarkable that we can look down on its surface we shall perhaps look down thus on the surface of air at length and mark where a still subtler spirit sweeps over it The skaters and water-bugs finally disappear in the latter part of October, when the severe frosts have come, and then, and in November, usually in a calm day, there is absolutely nothing to ripple the surface. One November afternoon, in the calm, at the end of a rainstorm of several days' duration, when the sky was still completely overcast and the air was full of mist, I observed that the pond was remarkably smooth, so that it was difficult to distinguish its surface though it no longer reflected the bright tints of October, but the somber November colors of the surrounding hills. Though I passed over it as gently as possible, the slight undulations produced by my boat extended almost as far as I could see, and gave a ribbed appearance to the reflections. But as I was looking over the surface, I saw here and there at a distance a faint glimmer, as if some skater insects which had escaped the frost might be collected there, or, perchance, the surface, being so smooth, betrayed where a spring welled up from the bottom. Paddling gently to one of these places, I was surprised to find myself surrounded by myriads of small perch, about five inches long, of a rich bronze color in the green water, sporting there, and constantly rising to the surface and dimpling it, and sometimes leaving bubbles on it in such transparent and seemingly bottomless water reflecting the clouds i seemed to be floating through the air as in a balloon and their swimming impressed me as a kind of flight or hovering as if they were a compact flock of birds passing just beneath my level on the right or left their fins like sails set all around them there were many such schools in the pond apparently improving the short season before winter would draw an icy shudder over their broad skylight sometimes giving to the surface an appearance as if a slight breeze struck it, or a few raindrops fell there when i approached carelessly and alarmed them they made a sudden splash and rippling with their tails as if one had struck the water with a brushy bow and instantly took refuge in the depths at length the wind rose The mists increased, and the waves began to run, and the perch leaped much higher than before, half out of water, a hundred black points, three inches long, at once above the surface. Even as late as the 5th of December one year I saw some dimples on the surface, and thinking it was going to rain hard immediately, the air being full of mist, I made haste to take my place at the oars and row homeward. Already the rain seemed rapidly increasing, though I felt none on my cheek, and I anticipated a thorough soaking. But suddenly the dimples ceased, for they were produced by the perch, which the noise of my oars had seared into the depths, and I saw their schools dimly disappearing. So I spent a dry afternoon after all. An old man who used to frequent this pond nearly sixty years ago, when it was dark with surrounding forests, tells me that in those days he sometimes saw it all alive with ducks and other waterfowl, and that there were many eagles about it. He came here a-fishing, and used an old log canoe which he found on the shore. It was made of two white pine logs, dug out and pinned together, and was cut off square at the ends. It was very clumsy, but lasted a great many years before it became waterlogged, and perhaps sank to the bottom. He did not know whose it was, it belonged to the pond he used to make a cable for his anchor of strips of hickory bark tied together an old man a potter who lived by the pond before the revolution told him once that there was an iron chest at the bottom and that he had seen it sometimes it would come floating up to the shore but when you went toward it it would go back into deep water and disappear i was pleased to hear of the old log canoe which took the place of an indian one of the same material but more graceful construction which perchance had first been a tree on the bank and then as it were fell into the water to float there for a generation the most proper vessel for the lake i remember that when i first looked into these depths there were many large trunks to be seen indistinctly lying on the bottom which had either been blown over formerly or left on the ice at the last cutting when wood was cheaper but now they have mostly disappeared when i first paddled a boat on walden it was completely surrounded by thick and lofty pine and oak woods and in some of its coves grapevines had run over the trees next the water and formed bowers under which a boat could pass the hills which form its shores are so steep and the woods on them were then so high that as you looked down from the west end it had the appearance of an amphitheatre for some land of sylvan spectacle. I have spent many an hour when I was younger floating over its surface as the zephyr willed, having paddled my boat to the middle and lying on my back across the seats in a summer forenoon, dreaming awake, until I was aroused by the boat touching the sand and I arose to see what shore my fates had impelled me to. Days when idleness was the most attractive and productive industry, Many a forenoon have I stolen away, preferring to spend thus the most valued part of the day, for I was rich, if not in money, in sunny hours and summer days, and spent them lavishly. Nor do I regret that I did not waste more of them in the workshop or the teacher's desk. But since I left those shores, the woodchoppers have still further laid them waste and now for many a year there will be no more rambling through the aisles of the wood with occasional vistas through which you see the water my muse may be excused if she is silent henceforth how can you expect the birds to sing when their groves are cut down now the trunks of trees on the bottom and the old log canoe and their dark surrounding woods are gone And the villagers, who scarcely know where it lies, instead of going to the pond to bathe or drink, are thinking to bring its water, which should be as sacred as the Ganges, at least, to the village in a pipe, to wash their dishes with, to earn their walden by the turning of a cock or drawing of a plug. That devilish iron horse, whose ear-rending neigh is heard throughout the town, has muddled the boiling spring with his foot, and he it is that has browsed off all the woods on walden's shore that trojan horse with a thousand men in his belly introduced by mercenary greeks where is the country's champion the moor of moor hill to meet him at the deep cut and thrust an avenging lance between the ribs of the bloated pest nevertheless of all the characters i have known perhaps walden wears best and best preserves its purity many men have been likened to it but few deserve that honour though the woodchoppers have laid bare first this shore and then that and the irish have built their styes by it and the railroad has infringed on its border and the icemen have skimmed it once it is itself unchanged the same water which my youthful eyes fell on all the change is in me it has not acquired one permanent wrinkle after all its ripples it is perennially young and i may stand and see a swallow dip apparently to pick an insect from its surface as of yore it struck me again tonight, as if i had not seen it almost daily for more than twenty years why here is walden the same woodland lake that i discovered so many years ago where a forest was cut down last winter another is springing up by its shore as lustily as ever the same thought is welling up to its surface that was then it is the same liquid joy and happiness to itself and its maker ay and it may be to me it is the work of a brave man surely in whom there was no guile he rounded this water with his hand deepened and clarified it in his thought and in his will bequeathed it to Concord. i see by its face that it is visited by the same reflection and i can almost say walden is it you it is no dream of mine to ornament a line i cannot come nearer to god in heaven than i live to walden even i am its stony shore and the breeze that passes o'er in the hollow of my hand are its water and its sand and its deepest resort lies high in my thought the cars never pause to look at it yet i fancy that the engineers and firemen and brakemen and those passengers who have a season ticket and see it often are better men for the sight the engineer does not forget at night or his nature does not that he has beheld his vision of serenity and purity once at least during the day though seen but once it helps to wash out state street and the engine's soot one proposes that it be called god's drop i have said that walden has no visible inlet nor outlet but it is on the one hand distantly and indirectly related to flint's Pond, which is more elevated by a chain of small ponds coming from that quarter and on the other directly and manifestly to concord river which is lower by a similar chain of ponds through which in some other geological period it may have flowed and by a little digging which god forbid it can be made to flow thither again if by living thus reserved and austere like a hermit in the woods so long it has acquired such wonderful purity who would not regret that the comparatively impure waters of flint's pond should be mingled with it or itself should ever go to waste its sweetness in the ocean wave flint's or sandy pond in lincoln our greatest lake and inland sea lies about a mile east of walden it is much larger being said to contain one hundred and ninety-seven acres and is more fertile in fish but it is comparatively shallow and not remarkably pure a walk through the woods thither was often my recreation it was worth the while if only to feel the wind blow on your cheek freely and see the waves run and remember the life of mariners i went a chestnutting there in the fall on windy days when the nuts were dropping into the water and were washed to my feet and one day as i crept along its sedgy shore the fresh spray blowing in my face i came upon the mouldering wreck of a boat the sides gone and hardly more than the impression of its flat bottom left amid the rushes yet its model was sharply defined as if it were a large decayed pad with its veins it was as impressive a wreck as one could imagine on the seashore and had as good a moral it is by this time mere vegetable mould an undistinguishable pond shore through which rushes and flags have pushed up. I used to admire the ripple marks on the sandy bottom at the north end of this pond, made firm and hard to the feet of the wader by the pressure of the water, and the rushes which grew in Indian file, in waving lines, corresponding to these marks, rank behind rank, as if the waves had planted them. There also I have found in considerable quantities curious balls, composed apparently of fine grass or roots of pipewort perhaps from half an inch to four inches in diameter and perfectly spherical these wash back and forth in shallow water on a sandy bottom and are sometimes cast on the shore they are either solid grass or have a little sand in the middle at first you would say that they were formed by the action of the waves like a pebble yet the smallest are made of equally coarse materials half an inch long, and they are produced only at one season of the year. Moreover, the waves, I suspect, do not so much construct as wear down a material which has already acquired consistency. They preserve their form when dry for an indefinite period. Flint's Pond. Such is the poverty of our nomenclature. What right had the unclean and stupid farmer, whose farm abutted on this sky-water, whose shores he has ruthlessly laid bare, to give his name to it? Some skinflint, who loved better the reflecting surface of a dollar or a bright cent, in which he could see his own brazen face, who regarded even the wild ducks which settled in it as trespassers, his fingers grown into crooked and bony talons from the long habit of grasping harpy-like so it is not named for me i go not there to see him nor to hear of him who never saw it who never bathed in it who never loved it who never protected it who never spoke a good word for it nor thanked god that he had made it rather let it be named from the fishes that swim in it the wild fowl or quadrupeds which frequent it the wild flowers which grow by its shore or some wild man or child the thread of whose history is interwoven with its own not from him who could show no title to it but the deed which a like-minded neighbor or legislature gave him him who thought only of its money value whose presence perchance cursed all the shores who exhausted the land around it and would fain have exhausted the waters within it who regretted only that it was not english hay or cranberry meadow there was nothing to redeem it forsooth in his eyes and would have drained and sold it for the mud at its bottom it did not turn his mill and it was no privilege to him to behold it i respect not his labors his farm where everything has its price who would carry the landscape who would carry his god to market if he could get anything for him who goes to market for his god as it is on whose farm nothing grows free whose fields bear no crops whose meadows no flowers whose trees no fruits but dollars who loves not the beauty of his fruits whose fruits are not ripe for him till they are turned to dollars give me the poverty that enjoys true wealth farmers are respectable and interesting to me in proportion as they are poor poor farmers a model farm where the house stands like a fungus in a muck-heap chambers for men horses oxen and swine cleansed and uncleansed all contiguous to one another stocked with men a great grease spot redolent of manures and buttermilk under a high state of cultivation being manured with the hearts and brains of men as if you were to raise your potatoes in the churchyard such is a model farm no no if the fairest features of the landscape are to be named after men let them be the noblest and worthiest men alone let our lakes receive as true names at least as the Icarian Sea, where still the shore of brave attempt resounds, goose Pond of small extent is on my way to Flint's, Fairhaven, an expansion of Concord River, said to contain some seventy acres, is a mile southwest, and White Pond of about forty acres, is a mile and a half beyond Fairhaven. This is my lake country these with concord river are my water privileges and night and day year in year out they grind such grist as i carry to them since the woodcutters and the railroad and i myself have profaned walden perhaps the most attractive if not the most beautiful of all our lakes the gem of the woods is white pond a poor name from its commonness whether derived from the remarkable purity of its waters or the color of its sands in these as in other respects however it is a lesser twin of walden they are so much alike that you would say they must be connected underground it has the same stony shore and its waters are of the same hue as at walden in sultry dog-day weather looking down through the woods On some of its bays, which are not so deep, but that the reflection from the bottom tinges them, its waters are of a misty bluish-green or glaucous color. Many years since, I used to go there to collect the sand by cartloads to make sandpaper with, and I have continued to visit it ever since. One who frequents it proposes to call it Virid Lake. Perhaps it might be called Yellow Pine Lake from the following circumstance about fifteen years ago you could see the top of a pitch pine of the kind called yellow pine hereabouts though it is not a distinct species projecting above the surface in deep water many rods from the shore it was even supposed by some that the pond had sunk and this was one of the primitive forests that formerly stood there i find that even so long ago as seventeen ninety two in a topographical description of the town of concord by one of its citizens in the collections of the massachusetts historical society the author after speaking of walden and white ponds adds in the middle of the latter may be seen when the water is very low a tree which appears as if it grew in the place where it now stands although the roots are fifty feet below the surface of the water the top of this tree is broken off and at that place measures fourteen inches in diameter in the spring of forty nine i talked with the man who lives nearest the pond in sudbury who told me that it was he who got out this tree ten or fifteen years before as near as he could remember it stood twelve or fifteen rods from the shore where the water was thirty or forty feet deep it was in the winter and he had been getting out ice in the forenoon and had resolved that in the afternoon with the aid of his neighbors he would take out the old yellow pine he sawed a channel in the ice toward the shore and hauled it over and along and out onto the ice with oxen but before he had gone far in his work he was surprised to find that it was wrong end upward with the stumps of branches pointing down and the small end firmly fastened in the sandy bottom it was about a foot in diameter at the big end and he had expected to get a good saw log but it was so rotten as to be fit only for fuel if for that he had some of it in his shed then there were marks of an axe and of woodpeckers on the butt he thought that it might have been a dead tree on the shore but was finally blown over into the pond and after the top had become waterlogged, while the butt end was still dry and light had drifted out and sunk wrong end up his father eighty years old could not remember when it was not there several pretty large logs may still be seen lying on the bottom where owing to the undulation of the surface they look like huge water snakes in motion this pond has rarely been profaned by a boat for there is little in it to tempt a fisherman instead of the white lily which requires mud or the common sweet flag, the blue flag, iris versicolor, grows thinly in the pure water, rising from the stony bottom all around the shore, where it is visited by hummingbirds in June, and the color, both of its bluish blades and its flowers, and especially their reflections, is in singular harmony with the glaucous water. White Pond and Walden are great crystals on the surface of the earth, Lakes of Light. If they were permanently congealed, and small enough to be clutched, they would perchance be carried off by slaves, like precious stones to adorn the heads of emperors. But being liquid, and ample, and secure to us and our successors forever, we disregard them, and run after the diamond of koh They are too pure to have a market value. They contain no muck how much more beautiful than our lives how much more transparent than our characters are they we never learned meanness of them how much fairer than the pool before the farmer's door in which his ducks swim hither the clean wild ducks come nature has no human inhabitant who appreciates her the birds with their plumage and their notes are in harmony with the flowers but what youth or maiden conspires with the wild luxuriant beauty of nature she flourishes most alone far from the towns where they reside talk of heaven ye disgrace earth chapter nine